Well, that said, Melanie, we got Keely on the line here. What do you want to ask her? Everyone's talking about having a platform. So you have a funnel. Do you have that or do you target more relationally and individually? Everybody's dream is to send out their investment and it's funded in a week. And that's why they talk about this capital raising platform. And yes, I think that's important. It's important to build funnels. It's important to have emails. It's important to educate your investors. However, I have seen some people get tripped up and not raise because they're too dependent on that and hiding behind the screen. And so what I always tell people is get on the phone. You should be talking to them once a month. I do think it's more successful to build relationships. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is episode number 72 and part of our Ask the Expert series. Today, I speak with experienced investor Keely Hubbard and aspiring investor Millie McDaniel. Keep listening for tips on how you can find and attract passive investors for your next real estate transaction. And now, the show. And by the way, it's a good one. So you're in for a treat. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital, and I'm really excited for today's show. It's one of our Ask the Expert episodes. We have two amazing women on the line with us right now. One that has a ton of experience in this and other businesses, Keely Hubbard, and a motivated, aspiring investor, Melanie McDaniel. So starting with Keely, she's both a multifamily syndicator and investor, as well as a sales coach for business owners and professionals who are looking to break through to the top of their field. She's also spent seven years in the financial education industry as an executive, and her passion for people and skilled communication drove unprecedented growth. As a managing partner of Hubbard Capital, a multifamily investment firm that she co-founded with her father, she's duly responsible for acquisition and investor relations. When she isn't sales coaching, touring properties, or underwriting deals, you can find her hanging out with her big, crazy fun family. So that said, Keely, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. So first question, big, crazy, fun family. I mean, tell, tell, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, how big and how crazy fun? Well, it's not as big. Maybe people think like, oh my gosh, 10, 12 kids. There's only four kids, but there's quite a lot of noise and laughter and we're just all super close. You know, okay. that's one thing I'm really grateful for to be really close to my, both my parents and my brother and sisters. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Do you, got, do you guys all live close too? We do. We all live within like 20 minutes of each other. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. We have dinner several times a week and mm-hmm. yeah, they're like my best friends and I'm, I'm blessed to have that. that. That's awesome. We, we live in, in DC right now and I'm going to retire from, from my current profession. I'm active duty military, but retire next summer. And wow. we're going to move into a situation where we're going to be within 20 minutes of a lot of families. You know, so my, my wife's sister, her parents, her sister's, and their families and her parents and, and everybody else are going to be just right there close. So oh. um, I'm excited for that. Actually. Yeah. And thank you for your service too. Thanks. I appreciate that. So yeah, family is, is, is awesome. I think my, my wife's family is, you say the same thing, big and crazy fun. So, <laughs> well, cool. So let's tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, your background and history and kind of lead us up to what got you into apartment investing. 
Well, I um, I was like to say I escaped corporate America about two years ago. I built my career in corporate America for years. I was VP of sales for a company that I helped to build and grow and kind of got to a place where, you know, you have all the accolades, you have the titles, you know, your dream house, your dream car, but you just feel emotionally bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And so I really took a look at my life. Is this the life that I want to live? And I decided to walk away from it. I had a passion. I've always had a passion for helping people achieve their financial life goals, whether that's through the financial markets, which is my you know previous background and world or real estate. Now, even in, in the world of sales coaching business owners, it's helping people design the life that they want to live and having the financial resources to get there. So mm-hmm. That's really my passion now. And I'm so grateful to be able to do this with my father, which I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do so because I was so busy in the corporate world. But uh, life's life's taken a big turn in the last two years and I mm-hmm. couldn't be happier where I'm at now. Yeah. So what prompted you to leave the corporate world? I mean, you said you had other titles, you had the big house, you know, you mentioned that emotionally bankrupt. What, what, was there a trigger or was it just a one, a one day realization that things weren't what you wanted it to be? You know, I think there was certainly a trigger there. (laughs) There were some things happening that were not ethical with the executive leadership in the company that I just didn't agree with. But, you know, I love the people that I worked with. I love the teams. My sales teams were like, you know, dear, dear friends to me, but I traveled 22 to 23 days a month. And even though I had all these amazing things in this life and this house at home, I kind of felt like a ghost in my own home. I think the big thing for me was that I remember being you know, in the room with my family at family gatherings, dinners, you know, big celebrations like Christmas and all the holidays. And I was there, but I wasn't present. My mind was in the business world because it was seven days a week, nonstop, a lot of stress. And I, you know, I regret that. And I, I really, you know, I look forward to my life. Like, I don't want to have any regrets going forward. And I want to be present when I'm with my family. I'm with my family. I'm not thinking about work. My mind is not, you know, elsewhere. I want to cherish that time yeah. that I've got with other people. So that was really the kind of the breaking point for me. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of people look at jobs where people travel all the time and they think, Hey, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. And until you actually do it, you know, yeah. uh, 23 <laughs> days, 22 days a month is a yes. lot. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a lot of time away from home. Some of know? it was international and it, you know, I just mm-hmm. never unpacked my suitcase. I, I would get home, I'd open my suitcase, throw everything in the washer, dry cleaner, and then repack it and go again. And um, it was crazy. Yeah. You know, I've had periods, I mean, besides the deployments, but I've, I've had jobs where I was, you know, home and home again, gone again, home again, gone again. And, you know, with the family, it's hard to get into a routine. You know, it's hard to come back and, you know, reinsert yourself when you know you're going to leave in two or three days. And I, um, what, you know, what you said really, really resonated with me because, you know, at a certain, certain points in my life, I've, I've kind of seen that, you know, and I felt exactly the same where, you know, you're, you're home, but, you know, sometimes it's like, is this really my family? I mean, I'm yeah. never here. I don't understand the side conversations and jokes, but uh, all right. So, so you had that, that moment where you wanted to, to move out. What, what led you to multifamily? What led you to what you're doing now? My father, <laughs> my dad is a serial entrepreneur. Um, mm-hmm. He's also, he's a professional currency. So Forex futures trader, he's been in the financial market since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. He's managed money as well. And just started to realize that he couldn't get the same returns for his investors that he was used to getting. And he's like, we need to start moving into hard assets. And he had experience with commercial leasebacks back in the eighties. So he'd done some real estate before, mm-hmm. um, but he's just, he's so great at not getting stuck in one place. When he sees the tide changing, he starts redirecting funds. Cause he, you know, he feels personally responsible for his investors and the people's money that he was managing. So we started mm-hmm. looking into multifamily a few years ago and okay. wish we'd started sooner. <laughs> 
You know, I think I say that a lot. You know, I, I had an opportunity to get out of the Marine Corps in 2012. And I ended up staying in for, they, they just dangled the right carrot in front of me at the right time, you know, and, and that, that kind of sealed the deal for me to, to go make it a career. But, you know, I look back at that moment and thinking, man, if I just would, if I would have just started multifamily in 2012, you know, wow. But well, good. So, so you decided multifamily and, and your dad you know, had, to, had the foresight to be able to pivot. How was that transition for you? Uh, the transition into multifamily, mm-hmm. I mean, we started with six units. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't know any better, you know, and I think yeah. a lot of people, they do start out small and I think it's great. You know, you, you kind of build this learning curve, but we very quickly realized it was going to be really challenging for us to scale, mm-hmm. um, to build, you know, a portfolio, the size that we wanted to build going six, seven units at a time. Yeah. So we uh, very quickly started figuring out and looking into how do we scale this? And that's how we found apartment syndication. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me in the beginning, if I'm being totally transparent, it's intimidating to me, just like the financial markets were intimidating to me. Cause my dad was always, you know, the trader, he knew everything. And I was coming in handling investor relations and working with the people side of things. And it's the same thing here in multifamily. He's the underwriter. Um, he's the numbers guy. And I, I truly believe you've got to operate in your strengths mm-hmm. and my, I could do it right. Like I know how to underwrite, but it's very taxing <laughs> for mm-hmm. me. It's not something I enjoy. So for me to be able to come in, build investor decks, build website, build all of our marketing and talk to our investors and especially manage our capital raise from start to finish that's what I'm really good at. And that's what makes me happy. And you know, when I'm happy, our investors feel it. So I think it's, it was a great transition and figuring out, okay, how do we each operate within our strengths Mm -hmm. um, to benefit everybody overall? Yeah. You know, and that's something that actually took me a a long time to figure out was, and at first I wanted to be involved in every single piece of the business, you know, and I I think that uh, um, it very quickly was apparent that that wasn't going to work out, but I think you, you nailed it on the head, you know, work within your strengths and find people who compliments you. And you're, you're very fortunate to have a father who can do the things that, that you can't and you, you yes. mutually work together for the same, same purpose. So what did you do to, I mean, how did you learn the business? I mean, it's obviously different. I mean, there's, there's carryovers from financial education and the investments your, your, your father did, but it's different as well. <laughs> yes, it's very different. Um, you know, my dad and I are big believers in instead of trying to figure it out on your own, mm-hmm. find somebody that knows what they're doing hire them and shorten the learning curve. (laughs) That's what we did. You know, we came into the space. I think the multifamily education space is a little crowded in terms of not knowing who's the right mentor for me, right? Mm -hmm. Based on what my goals are, who do I work best with? And so we found a group that my dad was primarily involved in for about 10 months and it just, it wasn't the right fit. We didn't click. And so Mm -hmm. we started looking again and we finally found the right mentor. And that's really where our success took off. Mm-hmm. was finding the right person that you you gel with, they've got the experience and they can truly hold your hand from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And you know, instead you can you can read about it, you can listen to a ton of podcasts, which I think all that stuff's great, but I'm a big believer and at some point you've got to start executing. And in this world it's a lot easier to execute and less scary if you have somebody holding your hand that's done it before. Yeah. You know, I went the same route. I I, I really did and I for me like I think you hit the nail head on the head again, you shortened the learning curve. You know, and for, for me, I've said this dozens of times before, I think it accelerated my growth personally. And it also it was for, for me, I, I had more confidence going in for the larger properties. And, you know, some, something else that I think also resonated with me, I started looking at the four, five, six, seven plexes, you know, that's something that I felt that I could do all by myself. But the difference is I caught wind of syndication before I was able to purchase my first one. And I thought, you know what? 
maybe, maybe I'll just get this coach thing and, you know, yeah. get a mentor and, and, and figure out how to go a little bit bigger, but yeah, that's really cool. So follow up on, on the question you said about, you know, finding the right mentor, what key factors were important to you in selecting the right mentor? You know, the silver lining and the one that didn't work out for us was it really helped us figure out exactly what we needed to be successful. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's one-on-one coaching directly from like the main guy, right? Mm -hmm. The main guru and the ability to call text whenever you need him um, Mm -hmm. has been huge for us. The second thing that was a big deal was the ability to partner. The fact Mm -hmm. that he would partner with us on our deals gives us a ton of credibility when we're calling brokers. It especially helps when we're talking to investors. I think investors trust my father, but for him to be able to say, yeah, my partner's got 8,000 units, you know, and 46 deals across eight states, that brings a lot more credibility to the table. So the ability to partner with somebody. And also I think too, a lot of these mentoring groups, right? You're getting a coach, but you're also surrounding yourself by people that are doing the same thing. And those are likely going to become your partners, right? And a general partnership team. So being a part of a group where the culture is established and upheld by everybody, where we all agree about how we do business together, there's character and integrity. um, And we really are like a big family. I think those are probably the the three big things that have been, that have helped us become successful when looking for a mentor. Yeah. And I, I like that. You have to have the network and incidentally, you know, the, the four partners in four Oaks capital, you know, three of the four of us were involved in the same coaching program, you know, and the fourth was, was best friend to one of us. So that, that definitely ended up being part of it. But uh, the other things you brought up, you know, having basically 24 seven access to the guy running the show and, and, and community, he also said partnership, the ability to partner with, with somebody with experience. And yeah, those, those are all absolute keys because when you, when you're trying to make it in this business, I mean, first calling brokers and being able to say, we're partnering with a group with 8,000 units, that's immediate credibility. And number two, you need that credibility to be able to get the loan too. You need those people on your team to, to be able to get the loan. So, so good, good. So let's shift gears slightly. What is your motivation for doing this? What's your big burning? Why? contribution. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things that I learned um, about myself over the last couple of years is that when I was an executive in this company, I was chasing after significance mm-hmm. and certainty, significance of it makes me feel good to be a VP of sales and to build this company and make all this money and have all these amazing things. And what I realized, you know, over the years are things are just things. And it's like, you, you get the title, you get the house, you get all the things that you were going for and you're still not happy. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned is that true happiness comes from growth and contribution. And this is a Tony Robbins perspective. I went to four events last year before COVID, raving fan of his, but I learned so much about myself and it really is growth of yourself, right? Am I growing and becoming better every single day? And am I giving back? Mm -hmm. And that's where true fulfillment comes from. And he always says that um, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And that's where mm-hmm. I was a few years ago when I was working for corporate. Mm-hmm. But now I feel so much more alive because I'm operating within my gifts. And I feel mm-hmm. like I'm truly helping people and giving back. Nice. That's my why. Yeah. And I, I think that's important. You know, giving giving back, it's just, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever felt better than when I'm helping other people. You know, so so when you talk about fulfillment... I am a Tony Robbins fan, but maybe not as big of a fan as you are, but read a couple of his books. I think he's, he's phenomenal, but that, that quote you said, you know, I, I really appreciated it, you know, so 
Let's uh, take one more one more shift in, in in directions here. Let's let's talk about one of the deals that you guys have done. You can pick which one, or you can talk about your investment philosophy as a whole. But give us an idea of what your company does. Yeah, absolutely. So we primarily focus on Class B and C value adds. Mm-hmm. We love the tertiary markets. <laughs> We're primarily mm-hmm. focused in Lubbock, Texas. Which, um, if you're familiar with Texas Tech University, that's um, mm-hmm. the major university that's there. You probably wouldn't have a lot of other reasons to go out to West Texas. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. pretty far out there, but we're learning to to love that area. It's been really fruitful for us and for our investors. But we're actually under contract right now on 236 units that's set to close end of January, and it's a Class B property. Nice. And yeah, we the other properties that we've got there are Class C properties. So this one is you know a little bit different and just as exciting. But I think it's going to be a great investment, and we've had a lot of great investor interest already. So we're excited about it. Nice. So follow on questions to that one. Why tertiary markets? Returns. So mm-hmm. most of our investors expect to double their money in mm-hmm. five or six years. And for us to be able to achieve those returns, we've got to be in markets that y'all are probably familiar with. A lot of people in our yep. group are in, you know, the Atlanta's, Tennessee's, Florida. For us being in Texas, Lubbock's a four-hour drive. It's really easy for us to get out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also looking in other, you know, tertiary markets in Texas as well. Yeah. And uh, we plan on expanding, but returns is a big one. Mm-hmm. And there's really great smaller markets out there that are steady eddies that are growing, that have great employment, all the, all the things that you look for when you're identifying a market. Yeah. You know, and our, our philosophy is actually very similar. You know, we're, we are looking for B and C class in, in tertiary markets for really all the same reasons. The only difference is we're not in Texas, we're, we're in the Southeast. So my, my screensaver in the back is Greenville and, you know, we'll be closing a deal in Augusta, Georgia the population of the MSA in Augusta is about a half a million. So good markets. And like you said, steady Eddie, there, there's just steady growth and a lot of, a lot of good things, a lot of goodness going on there. And I think the biggest thing is, is the competition just isn't there. You're not one of 30 offers uh, on every property. And in my opinion, if, if you win an offer, when there's 30 offers in on, on the, on the table, yeah. you're probably overpaying. Probably. And it's easier too, I think, to establish a relationship with brokers in mm-hmm. those markets. Cause like you mentioned, you're not competing a whole lot. I mean, our broker in Lubbock owns 95% of the market share there. So if there's anything on the market or off the market, it usually comes across our desk. So we're mm-hmm. very grateful to have built that relationship. And that's one of the reasons that we love that market. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think tertiary markets are a good place for, for beginning investors to start out and yeah, lots, lots of good reasons to hit up tertiary markets. Well, that said, what's, what's next for you? Well, I mean, right now we are, our focus this next year in 2021 is probably another, at least two acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll probably continue in the Levick market, but we're also looking in San Antonio, some other markets in Texas. We're thinking about some out-of-state ones as well. Uh, we'll see how that goes. It'd have to be a smaller property if we're going to go out-of-state with some of the markets that we're looking at, but we'll keep expanding the portfolio. We're continuing our asset management. We're going to be in the middle of some big renovations in 2021. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm just continuing to expand my sales coaching program that's kept me super busy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'll see what 2021 holds for us. Hopefully it's just as exciting, but also not as exciting as 2020. <laughs> for most Exci- people. Yeah, <laughs> exciting in different ways. Yeah, I mean, 2020, oh, wow. You know, it's it's been a difficult year for a lot of people, but there there's also a lot of opportunities. You know, every time you have difficulties, you know, especially like, like 2020 has been, a lot of times it's just opportunities in disguise. You know, you, you look mm-hmm. at what's going on, other people stop. And when other people are fearful, you know, like Warren Buffett says, when other people are fearful, time to be greedy. So 
Well, good enough. So let's let's introduce our, our next guest. We got Melanie McDaniel. She's the founder of Freestyle Capital Group, which is a private equity firm that provides education and passive real estate investment opportunities to credited and sophisticated investors. Her real estate investing journey began in 2015 when she read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Interestingly enough, that's kind of one of the sparks for me as well. She was a law enforcement park ranger at the time, and it took her until 2017 to prepare her leave for government job to jump into real estate full-time. She started as a real estate agent and went full-time into multifamily syndication in early 2020. She now owns a 24-unit property in Norfolk, Virginia with a few partners and is a limited partner on a 276-unit in Huntsville, Alabama. And she's super excited for her first general partner multifamily syndication opportunity coming up. So that said, Melanie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I know, I know. So let's let's do this. Let's let's talk about you now and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and history, and what kind of got you into this uh, multifamily space. I come from a blue collar background. I knew mm-hmm. nothing about financing or saving money or buying real estate or anything. I was always taught go to school, get good grades, go to college, be in the military. That was my choice, and you know, get a, a government job with a pension, and and that will be fine. Everything will be fine. So, um, yeah. When I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I'm, I was a smart person growing up. Like mm-hmm. I did very well in school. I even graduated high school a year early because I was over it. Joined the military because I wanted to travel the world and I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Mm-hmm. But I I didn't really know still, even when I was getting out, didn't know what I wanted to be, but I knew I loved to travel. So I studied tourism. I have mm-hmm. a bachelor's degree in travel administration. And I just kind of fell into being a park ranger because it made sense. My dad, he worked for the prison system in Utah. It's not mm-hmm. so much a park ranger, National Park Service, but it just, I don't know. Yeah. I fell into it because it was an easy path. The only entrepreneurs or real estate investors I, I knew of were either bad business people and uh, failing entrepreneurs or the real estate investors were family members, but they were kind of like slumlords. So really bad vision of what mm-hmm. an entrepreneur or real estate person looks like. So I was doing my park ranger job and it was okay, but I was mm-hmm. very unfulfilled. I had all these curiosities. I had something wasn't fulfilling in my life. So I, I don't even know how that book ended up in my hands, but I read mm-hmm. it and it was the concepts in there. I could not unread. I could not unlearn. Like my whole paradigm shifted. And yeah, I feel like I threw the short end of the stick because I was like, 33, 34 by the time um, this concept came into my life. So Mm -hmm. that being said, super conservative. I had this retirement plan. Everything was how it was supposed to be according to how I was raised. And now there's this paradigm shift. So lots of reading, lots of podcasts. It was really the mindset shift that needed to happen. The concept I was clear on, Mm -hmm. but the mindset that one, I could do it Two, it's possible that you know, get over the hump of people close to me telling me I'm stupid for quitting my job. But anyway, I, in 2017, was ready to go. And I ended up being a real estate agent just as a stepping stone. That was always the plan. I did very well with that. And continuing my learning, this concept of economies of scale Mm -hmm. started appearing pretty early in my studying, but there were just too many zeros. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. So yeah, I bought a single family house that didn't go so well, uh, decided I would never do that again. It was just a rental turnkey rental in St. Louis, Missouri. I never even stepped foot on the property (laughs) nightmare dabbled in some notes and backing some of my, uh, investor clients that I had as an agent. And yeah, just, I don't even know what made me do the coaching program, but I did have a Mm -hmm. coach. Uh, I did Michael Blanc's program. So that kind of made the process faster, right? Mm -hmm. As Keely mentioned, 
yeah. closing the time gap, uh, collapsing time frames, I guess. Did our 24 unit through that program and all the the while getting clear on what it is I actually want to do. Like mm-hmm. in an apartment syndication, there are lots of moving parts, lots yeah. of jobs. Lots of hats and, to wear. Yeah. Yeah. And different skills. Like I, I always knew I didn't love the numbers, but talking to brokers, I thought that would be fun, negotiating, going to properties, walking, touring, whatever. But as I did all that and, and moved forward, I, I realized that wasn't what I actually loved. I'm very much in alignment with what Keeley does or on the investor relations side, capital marketing. I just think this, this apartment investing is one of the best investments. So I want to share that with people because people like me back, you know, five years ago who had no clue, I want to bring this opportunity to people that were like me. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot of things there that could have come out of my mouth describing my background. You know, my, my dad was a blue collar job pension. He's, he's living off of pension right now. Incidentally, when I was a kid, I thought he was a blue collar employee because he wore a blue shirt to work every day, you know, and, and same thing. I mean, part of the reason I'm, I'm still in the military, you know, 19 and a half years after, you know, day one is that pension, the idea of the good government pension. Every, every once in a while, I'd, I'd do something that came, that gave me the paradigm shift, you know, rich dad, poor dad was one of them. And here's, here's the funny thing. And I've, I've said this on probably 30 different podcast episodes. When I first read that book, he talks a lot about multifamily. He talks a lot about commercial real estate in there. And I remember thinking, hmm, I don't think I'm smart enough to wrap my head around that commercial real estate thing, but I can figure out single family houses. And that's what I did, you know, ended up uh, picking up a couple of single family houses. But yeah, a lot, a lot of things in, in, in there, I think a lot of people go through the same same processes, you know, they, they do what they're taught they do. They do what their, their role models have done. And that's exactly what you did. Not, not knowing any better because that's what you grew up with. You know, you went into that safe government job that offered a pension, which, you know, is security to, to a lot of people. But yeah, so that said, what's your big burning? Why? My big why. So ever since I was probably 12 and then Mm -hmm why I joined the military was to travel. And then when I got out of the military, even though I was stationed in Italy for two of those years, which is amazing. I wanted to get out because I, in the military, you can't take a month off and go backpacking. And I wanted to be able to do that. No, I can't. Um, and I studied tourism and there's mm-hmm. just this thing I keep going back to. I love to travel. And mm-hmm. Ryan, you know this about me. I'm nomadic oh, yeah. right now. I was supposed to spend 2020 abroad. I started in Thailand, mm-hmm. came back for BEC 2020. Next stop was Playa del Carmen. And I didn't get on the plane because that's when our country was going in lockdown. So this whole year I had uh, scheduled international. Well, mm-hmm. I had to shift that. I've done domestic. So pretty mm-hmm. much every state in the West from not quite Texas and over, but Colorado and over (laughs) in a line. Um, Every state, just moving around, spending a month in each place, trying to figure out where home is. I really don't, nowhere feels like home to me. So as I move about, I'm learning markets, meeting people. So Keely, I'm not too far from you. I'm in Kingsland, Texas, which is outside of Austin. And I'll be probably in Dallas area next for a little stint. Awesome. But it's to meet people, try to find my GPs I want to build a business with and meet investors, of course, along the way. And yeah, I have fun. I, this is fun to me. I sometimes don't know when work ends and life begins. It's mm-hmm. just it's just what I do all the time. I love to talk about real estate. I think it's... Yeah. That should be the goal. Enjoying your job so much that it's, it's not work. You know. So, well, that said, Melanie, we got Keely on the line here. What do you want to ask her? 
Yeah. So I'm super excited. Uh, I mean, I read your bio on your website and everything, but I'm super excited because of the talk today, because you do pretty much what I do. So the questions I already had prepared are still my same questions, but I, I know that you're, you're the best person to ask these two. So um, how do you reach potential investors who don't necessarily love to talk about real estate and attend all the real estate events, but if given the opportunity, mm -hmm. would be a good fit uh, to invest in a syndication? Do you have favorite platforms or types of networking groups you recommend to connect with those people or even outside of that? Like, how do you connect with people that aren't in our club? <laughs> yeah, I love that question. And it's something that I've um, trained on in the past and discussed with um, other capital raisers because a lot of times, you know, we can kind of get so caught up in our own real estate world. Like you mentioned best ever. And I was there and we probably walked by each other at some point and we didn't meet yet. And I love events like that. I think it's really important for us to be there and establish relationships, but I don't necessarily think they're the best place to find investors because you have mostly syndicators or mostly lead sponsors and very few passive investors. And so I always think about how can I be the only real estate expert in the room? if I'm going to a networking event. And, you know, so I do look into business clubs. I tap into um, just some friends that I've met through even the Tony, Tony Robbins world that are, you know, platinum partners that are very well connected in the, in the business arena. How can I be the real estate expert to those people? And so I'm always trying to figure out, you know, how do I find groups of people who have the problems that we fix, right? And in multifamily investments, that we can uh, we can share it with because it, it is great to you know have those seasoned investors come in and they will contact you and they, they do find you from doing stuff like this and podcasts and they hear about you but really meeting those new people um, and it's a little bit more challenging during COVID right normally there's events going on that you can go to and networking events but it, it is really finding those events where you're the, you're the expert in the room would be my biggest piece of advice. Good, thank you. Yes. That's the question everybody is is trying to figure out. You know, we're we're just finishing on a four million dollar raise. We brought a couple of partners in to help us raise capital. And when I looked over the investor list from the partners, I'm like, let's see, I know him, I know her, yeah. I know him. Uh, I talked to him about this. You know, and, and it's just one of those where um, one of my partner uses the word incestuous. Once once you start going to those events, you have all the same friends, your network. You know, you look yeah. on LinkedIn, it's like you know 682 shared contacts. You know, you're your your stuff's all going out to the same group of people. And I think that that's a great question. And Keely, I, I love the answer. You know, it's, it's something that I think everybody at one point when they're scaling is going to have to do, get away from that syndicator crowd and find the people who aren't, you know, showing up to the best ever conference or the dealmaker live events. So yeah, yeah that's it. I would add too, I think, you know, even if you find those people, what I found just being a sales coach is a lot of times people mess up the intro, right? Like you meet these people, you're at a networking event, you're the only multifamily investor in the room and people ask you what you do. And maybe I respond with, oh, I'm a multifamily syndicator. And they're like, oh, that's cool. What's and then that? they, yeah. right? they, just, they don't want to ask you what's that because they don't want to offend you, right? Like, oh shoot, I'm supposed to know what that means. And so the conversation ends there because they don't want to feel stupid because they think they are supposed to know what it is and they don't want to make you feel you know irritated. So I always come from the angle of um, know your audience and who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. So if you're at a business networking event and you're talking to business owners and they say, oh, you know, what do you do? I say, well, I typically work with business owners who are a little bit concerned about their investments and kind of where the stock market's at. And it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. And they're hoping to stabilize that and, you know, diversify themselves and get some tax benefits as well. And I help them do that through multifamily investing. 
you want to say things that would trigger a response on the person that you're talking to where they can relate to it emotionally? What are they tired of, worried about, nervous about, concerned with? It's the emotional triggers that will get them to be interested versus the logical response of, well, I invest in, you know, we buy apartment buildings. That's probably not going to get you the response that you're looking for. So know your audience and be very careful in how you describe what you do. Very good. My other, another question I have is similar to the capital raising piece. Do you have like a funnel or there's this platform, everyone's talking about having a platform. So you have a funnel. Do you have that or do you target more relationally and individually? How do you kind of? Yeah, (laughs) I'm glad you asked that. So I'll give you a kind of two different perspectives. So my father and I, our focus is acquisition right now. We certainly have investors. They come to us organically, but I haven't been super focused on finding investors and building a big investor list. So the ones that do come to us, I'm building relationships with. To be transparent, we have so much going on. We've got some other investments that we're working on that we don't mind bringing on capital raisers and giving away equity to be able to hit our targets. So we certainly do that. What I will say, though, is I do coach a lot of capital raisers just because of my sales experience and I think it's really important, yes, to have the platform eventually. When you've got an investor list of hundreds of people that you need to keep warm, um, you know, even maybe into the thousands, because I think everybody's dream is to send out their investment and it's funded in a week, right? Mm -hmm. Without having to talk to anybody. That's like everybody's dream. And that's why they talk about this capital raising platform. And yes, I think that's important. It's important to build funnels. It's important to have emails. It's important to educate your investors. However... I have seen some people get tripped up and not raise because they're too dependent on that and hiding behind the screen because they're more comfortable in that world versus getting out there talking to investors. That may sound harsh, but it's just, it's the truth. And I don't think you're going to have an issue with that because you love, you love people. And so what I always tell people is get on the phone. You should be talking to them once a month. Just pick up the phone and call them. Even when you don't have a deal, because this is a relationship-based business, anybody can call them and check in and see what's going on in their life you know, how their kids are, you know, how's, how's life, how's family, here's what I'm up to, don't have any deals yet, we're still looking in these markets, it still keeps them warm and in the pipeline. Yes, it's more work to be on the phone with people, but you'll fund your deals a lot faster by keeping your investors warm versus cold emails that are coming through a perfectly designed funnel, if that makes sense. And again, just one opinion, but I do think it's more successful to build relationships. I tend to agree wholeheartedly. I mean, if you look at our automation, we don't have great automations. You know, we, we don't have that that perfect, you know, set of emails that goes out to everybody and the, the once a week already pre-planned, whatever. But yeah, we do get on the phone with a lot of people, you know, and we, we spend a lot of time talking to people. And that's that's really what ends up the the people that we spend a lot of time with on the phone are the ones that usually end up investing with us. And we're we're not to the point to where, you know, we're we're clicking buttons and you know, getting millions, but I think you're right, Keely. That's that's kind of like the holy grail from a capital raiser standpoint. Is I click a button and I watch the money come in. Yes. Not there yet, but, uh, but that hoping. doesn't even sound fun to me. Tell me if my idea is realistic <laughs> or not, because I don't want thousands of people in a funnel that I have to make a video or a podcast or a newsletter for like consistency consistently to keep up with that. I mean, yes, I will, I'll do the things I need to do, but I ideally would love 200 people, maybe less, but 200 that invest once, once every three years with me, but keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's it. 
Like I don't, I don't feel like I need to have thousands of people in a funnel that never invest. I, I really just want real relationships and I want to change real lives. And then one day, like this is my biggest pipe dream ever is I know them so well that once a year we go meet at some resort in Mexico and have a party. I mean, that's how I'd want to build my business. Is that realistic or not? I certainly think it is. I, the only thing I would just there is I think you can find people that would invest with you probably more frequently than once every three years, you'll find, you know, kind of your core group of of repeat investors, but I wholeheartedly agree with the whole relationship side of things. And yes, it's great to have all the automations, but I would say the more that you can just stay in front of your investors. um, I know a capital raiser who has a WhatsApp group that it's just an easy way for him to send updates. Here's what I'm up to. I'm touring a property here. There's an investment opportunity popping up here. It's a great way for him to stay in front of any has hundreds of investors, or if you're doing it on social media and just kind of answering those common questions that people have about the multifamily space where they constantly see, oh, there's Melanie again. Oh, let's see what she's talking about today, right? She's helping me understand multifamily further. And I will add to that, you know, used to years ago, people would have to see on average your marketing or advertising of any company eight times before they say yes and move forward buying anything. Nowadays, it's doubled. It's 16. So sometimes we think, are people out there even listening? And I would encourage you, be consistent, keep putting it out there, let them see it over and over and over and over again, and they will eventually come around and they will invest. But it's that consistency of putting it out there even when you think, is anybody listening? Is anybody interested? Yeah, I I think that idea you have is great. I mean, if you had 200 investors that put, I mean, just, just exactly what you said. If you had 200 investors that did exactly what what you say and they're, they're doing a minimum of $50,000, I mean, quick math in public, you're still raising over $3 million a year, you know, which as a capital raiser is is a pretty good clip. I would say that something that you, you definitely want from your investors is when you take a deal full cycle, you know, three, five or eight years, depending on what you're looking at, you want to, to give them a boatload of cash back, you know, so they're getting their principal back and they're getting the, the uh, proceeds from the sale back. So that's, that's the biggest, you know, cash event in the, in the whole cycle. You want them to take that money and say, Hey, Melanie, what else do you got? You know, can I just move this right into your next deal? You know, I think that's, that's something you want to look for. And that's, that's going to keep them every three to five years, you know, consistently investing with you. But I also agree with Keely, you know, most of them are going to be doing it more, more frequently. You know, we've got a couple that a small number that have invested in, you know, several of our syndications. And, you know, we we had one guy came on with, with one we closed in June who said, you know, he wanted to do one a year with us, you know? So yeah, I, th- I think that the 200, I, I think that's, that's a good solid number. And I think that's, you know, the idea of keeping those guys uh, investing with you over, over a long period of time is going to work out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not only when you return their money at the end, I mean, at the refi, they could potentially mm-hmm. do a deal at the refi and a deal at the end. So that one deal could turn into two and those two would turn into, I'm not going to do math in public, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got two degrees in math, but I am terrible at arithmetic and especially any math in public, you know, so. There's too much pressure. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just like, uh, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the deals should multiply, you know, if you're doing a refinance in your deal and you're returning 50% of their capital, you know, have an opportunity lined up, you know, and just say, Hey, Oh, by the way, you know, here's 50% of the capital that you invested and if you don't know what to do with that money, we've got another deal for you. Bam. So yeah. that's my dream. I want to keep it boutique. I want to have a mm-hmm. boutique firm is kind of what I'm going for. Yeah. I really just want friends. 
there's a way to leverage that too and how you position it. You know, just from a sales perspective, people don't want to be a part of something where everybody can join. That's why people buy country club memberships. They like things that are exclusive. And so if you really do make it an exclusive investor club or an exclusive investor list where you only accept X amount per quarter or this many per year and they have to interview for it, then there is a lot more attraction to that. And you can also maintain the culture of your investor list and, you know, potentially do those fun things like the events that you're talking about in the future. And who knows, maybe host something in Thailand, right? I'm going to try to get on that investor list, by the way, so I can join that event. (laughs) Playa del Carmen sounds awesome, you know, so that's been on my bucket list for a while, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I like it. Incidentally, you know, when Four Oaks Capital came together, two of my partners are huge surfers, you know, and, and the first thing we talked about was uh, it was Costa Rica, not Mexico for us. Let's all get together, bring our and, and we, we kind of had this idea that we'd pay for investors who reached a certain threshold to come down and hang out with us. But you know, a lot of the things you said there, you know, it's it's the type of thing that I think a lot of people are looking for and achievable is the answer. So we haven't achieved it yet, but we will. But good. Yeah. All right. What else you got, Melanie? Well, I had a question about markets, but you kind of already answered that. So I'm not going to poke and prod you for where you're looking outside of Texas. I don't I would... mind telling you. I'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're in Iowa, in Des Moines, Iowa. Mm. So we've got a really great broker contact there. I just think you can find what you believe is the best market out there. But if you can't raise capital there, it doesn't matter, right? Mm. Like your investors have to be on board and um, so that's one where we're just trying to figure out, okay, how do we find a property where our capital raise is one and a half to 2 million versus five, something mm-hmm. that would be easier to fund into a smaller deal there to get proof of concept. So there's some little markets like that, but again, it's so hard to go out of state when you're in Texas and you can drive, you know, wherever you need to go um, to manage your properties and to tour them and everything else. So that's why we've, we've been focused on Texas so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've been focused on the big central Texas and North Carolina just because it's always at the top of the list, but I'm kind of finding not even that's, I could find a GP probably in all of those markets, but I'm kind of liking the secondary markets a little more, just a little more bang for your buck. And yeah, I don't like overpaying on anything. I love a good discount sale. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I, women do. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd say what one thing is, is get your investors accustomed. If, if you're going to change focus on region, you know, that's, that's the time to use your distro list and just start talking about other markets. Like, Hey, you know what, you know, we've been investing in Carolinas and this is from, from my perspective, we've been investing in Carolinas and I know we've told you guys how wonderful the Carolinas is, but wow, Augusta. And, and before we started a, a raise in Augusta, we, we started sending some information out about, Hey, we found this, you know, little gem of a city, you know, it's, it's called Augusta, Georgia. And we pushed a bunch of information to our distro list that just talked about Augusta, you know, and it was one of those things where up until then we've said Carolinas, 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 upstate, Greenville, Spartanburg, you know, we kept on throwing numbers and, and stats from those markets at them. And then end of the day, when we found a great place in, in Augusta, we just started doing, you know, slowly changing and, you know, here's a little teaser on Augusta. Here's a little info sheet on Augusta. Here's how awesome Augusta is. And then a month after that, Hey, we've got a deal in Augusta and here's the webinar information. So you know, you got to slowly kind of change their their ideas if they're used to Texas and slowly get them used to the idea of Iowa. So, all right. Well, we're, we're about out of time here. So I got one more question for both of you. And that's how can our listeners learn more about you? Keely, you go first. Well, you can reach me. Um, my email is just contact at keelyhubbard.com. 
And I would say too, that if you're out there and you're thinking about raising capital, it's probably one of the biggest frustrations for most syndicators because mm -hmm. they don't have a sales background. So I've got a simple playbook that I'd be happy to email you for free. If you shoot me an email, okay. I will send it over to you and hopefully you find it helpful. All right. Awesome. And we'll have that information in the show notes. So you can just tap her email address and, you know, if you got your phone set up, right, it'll just automatically send something. So good enough. Melanie, how about you? Well, my website is freestylecapitalgroup.com. So mm -hmm. people can go there and read about the bio. My bio is there. You can't leave the page without a pop-up trying to get you to sign up to the newsletter. And my little gift there is 16 Reasons Multifamily may be the unicorn investment. So they can they'll put their email into that and it will subscribe them to the newsletter, but they'll get that free download. Or they can join at the moment the non-exclusive investor club that <laughs> <laughs> could be one day once yeah. have my investor base i think that's a great idea to make it exclusive yeah be one of melanie's 200 that you know that will eventually great. be meeting in mexico okay go to her website you know fill out that form information is going to be in the show notes check out the show notes tap it and look forward to hanging out with melanie on the beach in playa del carmen or costa rica or whatever so Dominican. <laughs> yeah. There's so many opportunities. The world's really big here. So um, anyway, thank you two ladies for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. And I, I think this is going to be the best episode ever. Ever. So, yes. Ever. Ever. Nice meeting you, Keely. Nice to meet you too, Melanie. Thank you for having us, Brian. This has been a lot of fun. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week. <laughs>